Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B. Joining me today is Jacob. Hello. And today we're going to be reviewing Petricor, a delightful new game about clouds. Uh, but first, let's talk about what we've been playing, because there is a lot of it. Yeah, we got to play quite a bit. I mean, we had International Tabletop Day, mm-hmm. and then we had our own other games that we've been playing around. So uh, actually, a game that I picked up on International Tabletop Day was Century Golem Edition. Yeah, so this was really cool. I had heard of Century Spice Road, Yeah, but I'd never played it. Mm-hmm. And you showed me the Golem Edition, and I was like, oh my god, this is adorable. Yes. And coincidentally, you had already been buying it so we actually got to play that a couple days later and it was a blast i mean gameplay is very very simple yeah really just focused around collecting they're basically the same type of resource they're just crystals of different colors and mm-hmm. so you know different tiers essentially one through four and then spending those to acquire golems and the golems are worth points and that's really all there is to it yeah and it's actually really interesting because since it's all card based all your actions are on your cards mm-hmm. you can only do certain things so it's like at first you start with just being able to collect two yellow crystals which are the lowest level right and then also you get to upgrade two crystals of any type to the type above it and this is i think one of the cool things about the game is that the crystals are in a certain order mm-hmm. it goes yellow green blue pink and pink is like the most prestigious and like the coolest one and the one worth the most money and the most points and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the yellow is the one that you can find laying around your backyard. Right. So it's got a really cool mechanic of just like, you know, trading up, trading down, upgrading, like downgrading. It's just like trying to figure out how everything works together and how you can get an engine going that you don't have to keep recycling your cars. You can actually like push it through from multiple different points. Yeah, and that's really the, the like that's the biggest aspect of strategy with regard to the game. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to me when we played a couple of rounds that we kind of approached it from different angles, right? Yeah. You really went for an engine where you basically never had to recycle your cards until you got to the end. Yeah. You dumped your 12 card hand or whatever, and everything had a specific purpose and everything, you know, you had bailout points if you needed to pick up a different color mm-hmm. or, or what have you. Whereas I went for a much more like, all right, I've got like three cards that work really well together and I'm going to play them and I'm going to get gems and then recycle them into my hand. So it's all about, you know, uptime versus downtime versus, you know, what do you need to be able to buy the types of crystals that you need to get the golem. So it's it's a lot of really interesting considerations. And it's super fast yeah. and light and fun. And I think it's just a great game to play, you know, when you've got like half an hour of downtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a splendor that I actually like. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's a, I think that's a fair descriptor. Yeah. Right. And the cool part is actually, and I'm actually really curious right now, I like Golem Edition a lot mm-hmm. for, for this, but there's two expansions that are coming out. One in 2018 and one 2019. Okay. For Century Spice Road. And now they are standalone expansions. And I'm really curious to see if they're going to work with the Golem Edition. Mm, yeah. Because that could be interesting. That would be nice if they could work with the Golem Edition. But like, we'll have to see if they do. If they need to like create a different, like, you know, two versions of it. A Golem Edition yeah. and a non-Golem Edition. Yeah, because I haven't seen the original. But I imagine like the card back is different. And certainly the faces are different. But that, that matters less. Yeah, the faces matter a little bit less as long as the colors stay the same. Right. Uh, but the card backs, I think, matter a little bit more. Though even then, I don't know if it would matter that much. 
as long as you were all right with it being a little bit janky, you, you should be fine. I mean, it's it's you know sort of the classic trading card game reason that you a card back would have to be the same so that you don't know what's coming up next on top yeah. of the deck. But I mean, depending on how much information that gives you, you know how broad exactly. the expansion is, that might not actually matter all that much so and you might also just be able to get sleeves for the cards true yeah there you go although they are tall i think they're they they have like so many different sizes of sleeves nowadays that like you'd probably be i mean they have sizes for the uh mystic veil cards and that right which i think these are about that size yeah exactly so they might actually be the same so there might already be card sleeves for them yeah well there you go but uh century was not the only game that we picked up at International Tabletop Day, we also picked up a copy of Monster Match, which if you tuned in to our live stream, you may have seen us play. Another really quick, really simple, really delightful game. Mm -hmm. You've got monsters, and they've got various numbers of eyes and arms and legs. Yep. And you have to pick out the monsters from a a pile of monsters, and each one is worth a certain amount of donuts. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's completely goofy. It's Um, very goofy. It plays up to, I think, six think so yeah which is a, a great number for sort of a like a medium party mm-hmm. size yeah and it's really cute really quick kind of a almost a dexterity yeah. aspect it's more like a, a reaction time is really exactly. worth judging than any sort of like precision yeah like we but, had one person where we played who had a really good reaction time oh yeah yeah she was amazing <laughs> off the block you know but so it's it's something that is a, a type of game a genre of game that we're not usually into um, but I think we both loved it. It was yeah. it was really endearing, and we picked up a copy mm-hmm. that day. Well, we tried to pick up a copy that day, yeah. but they were sold out. Yeah, exactly. But I got it later on. You did, because <laughs> you're Jacob, yes. and you do those sorts of things. Exactly. Otherwise, we got to play Terraforming Mars recently, mm-hmm. and we finally brought the Venus Next expansion to table. We did. And I think both of us were very surprised as to how much it actually changed the game. Yeah. I mean, core gameplay-wise, not a lot's changed. Yeah. You know, you're still moving the, the Terraform parameters up. You're still getting TR. You're still collecting your resources in order to be able to do it. But the impact of the Venus Next cards, mm-hmm. you know, but the addition of having a new track, a new Terraform track that you can put resources and time into if you need to bump up your TR a little bit, it does change the outlook of the game. And we actually played, so we played what we called the slow variant. Yeah which was draft instead of standard draw. Mm -hmm. And we played without the world government phase, which is where the first player determines a parameter that gets raised at the end of the round. Mm -hmm. They don't get any points for it. It's just that basically the government of the system raises that parameter in order to speed things along. But we decided we wanted to take greatest advantage of the new cards and see the most of them. So we played without that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it changes the value of some things. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. It definitely, you know, it changes your focus and it sort of causes you to take a step back and say, okay, well, I could go this route, which is maybe the traditional route, but also now I have this, mm-hmm. this little avenue that's yeah. sort of making itself known. Yeah, the Venus board, I think, is very interesting. And I think especially with the, with the world government, which I'm looking forward to trying to play again, mm-hmm. because I think that that will change the game quite a bit. Like just being able to push that. And if you already have a setup, for example, heat or anything like that, or like most of the other parameters, being able to push like the, even the Venus track up is really powerful because a lot of the Venus cards have a necessary Venus level. Mm-hmm. And so it's that kind of thing where it's like, 
Yeah, I would totally push that up. Like if I had it for free, yeah, totally. I'm gonna I'm gonna go push that up and wait until it gets to the point where I can use it. Right. And I like the new cards. I love the new corporations. Yeah. Yeah, those were interesting. There's five of them. Five, I believe. Yeah. yeah. One of them being one that is very much after my own heart, which Va- is Viron. Yeah, Viron. You get to use a blue action a second time during that game. Jacob that loves turn. card strategies. This is a yes. constant source, not necessarily of contention. But okay, yeah, we'll call it contention. It's a constant source of my losses. <laughs> yeah, he he's definitely someone who prefers to focus on a card-based strategy. So microbes, animals, things like that, as opposed mm-hmm. to a board strategy, which I tend to be more proficient at dealing yeah. with you know forests and and cities and things like that so uh he was actually really excited when they released hellas and elysium mm-hmm. because the milestones and awards were less focused on the board yeah uh than they were on uh the cards that you played so exactly exactly so i'm really looking forward to bringing that to table again yeah i think it'll be fun and uh i like the new directions that it's going so me too i'm excited maybe we'll get uh you know three or four more people well two or three more people and uh, played on stream one of these days. Maybe. We've done that in the past, so it could happen again. Yeah. Last thing that we actually got to play, just to mention it, because we were both super excited about it. Yeah. Um, Dave Chalker came and played on stream with us a game called Cook-Off. And oh my god, were we excited about that. Because mm-hmm. the game is amazing. It's a dexterity game, so it already had a hurdle to jump for us. Because we are not very much dexterity, a kind of like quick time game people. Exactly. But both of us got so into it that it was it was amazing. It's like you're cooking all these different things. So first of all, theme for me is on point. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Along with that, just the gameplay is really cool. Like the way that you're just rolling and like creating these different parts and like some things you have to slice before you cook and then other things you need actual like, you know, fire to do and you need to mix two different ingredients and that kind of stuff. And and it, it's just really, really interesting and captures the feel of one of those Cutthroat Kitchen-esque oh, yeah. games. Yeah, I mean, very much for me, my favorite cooking show of all time is Chopped. Mm -hmm. Um, And this felt exactly like that. It's, you know, make this. And rather than being given a specific basket of ingredients, you know, you've just got this pile of cards that you have to literally dig through in order to find, okay, this is worth a lot of points. I'm going to take that. Oh, but it's it's hard to cook. It takes a lot of time. It's it's hard to work with. I'm going to maybe switch. I'm I'm not going to cook with beef. I'm going to cook with chicken instead. And all of these, you know, really rapid fire decisions that you have to be making and there's dice rolling similar to escape you know where you're rolling a a pool of dice and trying to say okay i need red faces or i need green faces whatever the case may be and you're trying to get exactly what you need in order to prepare the mandatory aspects of this dish but then there's also points for technique and plating and things and just generally i think it really captures a lot of the hecticness the chaos that seems to go into a lot of these shows and theme is theme is great yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing this published like any publishers out there definitely talk to dave talker because he's got a gem on his hands right there this is a game that if i had the ability to i would have bought on the spot yeah exactly i i just i can't wait for this to hit store shelves it is going to be the next like big kind of real-time game yeah i I think it's it's amazing i absolutely believe it and I just can't wait. Well, there you go. That is not just a resounding endorsement of Cook-Off by Dave Chalker, but also a look at what we've been playing. 
So today, my friends, we are talking about petrichor. It is the pleasant earthly smell after rain. It is actually caused by bacteria and plants and the oils that they leave after rain. Wait, what? Wait, you're saying that we're not talking about the actual smell? It's a board game? God damn it, why did I do all this research? And there we go. We are talking today about Petricor, the board game, not the smell. Although it is highly related to the smell, um, given that the board game revolves around clouds yes. that players fill with rain droplets in their particular color and then spread onto the plant tiles below in order to score points. So definitely a strong theme going on. Uh, it does what it says on the box. Very much so. Very much so. So in helping all these clouds get their rain droplets to the plants and you know helping petrichor happen, I guess, the game is divided into four different phases. You have the action phase, the weather phase, the harvest phase, and the cleanup phase. The first one, and the one that you spend most of the time in, is the action phase. With the action phase, you have cards in hand, and the cards come in four different types, which symbolize the four different types of weather, and each of them symbolize a different action that you can take. Mm -hmm. You have frost, which allows you to create a cloud. You have sun, which allows you to put two rain droplets in any cloud that you're already in. You have wind, which allows you to, to move one cloud orthogonally from one tile to another. And then you have rain, which allows you to take any one drop from any two clouds that you are in and put them on the actual tile itself. Exactly. And so each of these action types is represented on cards. And on your turn, you can take up to two actions. Uh, the first action just costs one card. You play a rain in order to take the rain action, sun to take sun action, and so on. The second action that you take each round, if you choose to do so, costs you two cards of the same type. So if you wanted to affect that same rain action, you would have to play two rain cards. There is the chance to use wilds. Um, basically, you can spend any two cards from your hand in order to treat them as though they were one other type of card. So I can spend a sun and a wind, or a pair of suns, in order to treat them as though they were a single rain card. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it does matter that it's only a single one because you could, for example, use four cards to have a completely wild second action. Although remarkably inefficient. Yes, remarkably inefficient. The action cards that you play will also allow you to vote on what weather effect you would like to happen at the end of the phase. You get to choose one of three things to do with your voting action. Vote on the weather effect that is on the card that you just played. So if you play the sun action, then you get the sun weather effect that you can vote on. It also allows you to vote instead on the next one in the circle, which is if it's the sun, then it would be the wind weather effect. And the third thing that you can do instead of voting at all is that you can tick down the harvest dice. Now the harvest dice are interesting because what they are, there are three dice in the middle of the, of the game board that when you roll them show four, three, two, one pips or a harvest symbol. How they work is when they go down to zero pips, so you go from four to three, three to two, two to one, so on. When you're supposed to go down to zero pips, that's when that die goes to the harvest side. When all three dice are showing the harvest side, then the harvest is gonna happen at the end of the round. Right, so each turn, each player can take one or two actions. Each action not only allows them to perform something on the board by moving or 
doing something with their clouds or droplets, but also allows them to vote. Once one player is satisfied with their turn, they can choose to pass. At this point, in a three or four player game, they would claim the first player token, and each other player would have one last opportunity to take only one action. So there is definitely a strategic element to when to pass. Yes, for sure. Before we talk about the weather phase, real quick, let's talk about exactly what these clouds and droplets are and how they work. So clouds, being that the game is about them, are very important for the action phase. Each cloud is represented by a little cardboard cutout into which players can place their own droplets, little glass beads that represent water, their investment in causing plants to grow. Clouds start out as light clouds, which have no gameplay effects. They can be pushed around, they can be merged with other clouds, and eventually they can grow into thunderclouds. Any cloud which reaches four droplets, no matter whose droplets they are, grows into a thundercloud. Any thundercloud that reaches eight droplets will overflow, spilling all of its droplets onto the tile beneath. Making sure that your cloud is in the right position when it either overflows or is prompted to drop by weather effects is one of the biggest aspects of the game, because each plant tile has certain conditions under which it sprouts or develops. Yep. So plant tiles themselves, there are many different types, first of all. You can have everything from coffee, wheat, rice, you have some grass, you have even cacti and other things like that. Each plant tile has a specific trigger for when it will be ready to harvest, pretty much. Mm -hmm. In the simplest of cases, this is just a number of water droplets that is on that tile. So, for example, grass will develop after two rain droplets have fallen onto that tile. That means it's ready to harvest. On the other hand, there are also plants that have other secondary needs. So there's coffee, for example, and coffee will sprout after it has four water droplets on the tile. But at that point, it's not yet really ready to harvest. It's just sprouting. So what it needs is for the sun weather effect to happen in order for it to fully develop. It pretty much goes from one tier of points to a higher tier of points in game mechanics wise. Exactly. So strategically moving your clouds around, making sure that you have enough droplets to sprout or develop whatever it is you need to, and controlling the weather effects are key to generating points. After the action phase, after all players have finished their final action, you move into the weather phase. So as we mentioned, each card allows you to vote on one of two weather effects. And at the beginning of the weather phase, each of those weather effects is checked to see how many different votes it received. Yeah. The two weather effects that received the most votes will happen. Mm -hmm. And each of those has different gameplay implications. Frost causes all light clouds to become thunderclouds, regardless of how many droplets are currently in them. Sun allows players in turn order to choose a cloud and double the number of droplets they have in that cloud. Wind, in reverse turn order, allows players to move any one droplet, even if it's not their own, from a tile to a different tile. This is actually the only way to move droplets around the board once they have been removed from a cloud. Mm -hmm. And finally, you have rain, which causes all thunderclouds to rain. The other thing about voting, though, is when you're selecting those, the person who had the most votes for a specific weather effect when it is selected, that person also gets to go up on the track for like the voting track, pretty much, exactly. which gives points at the end of the game. Right. So the votes, the total votes are cleared from the two highest vote receiving weather effects. 
and those voting scores are determined. But the two weather effects that didn't get prompted, those votes stay on the board as sort of an investment in causing those to happen in the future. Yep. This makes it a very cyclical game, which you could expect given that it's all about harvesting and you know crop cycles and things. Mm-hmm. But in a two-player game, this is also what determines when and whether first player token gets passed. Yep. So there's a lot of strategy that can go into this as well. Yeah, for sure. Following the weather phase, you may or may not move into the harvest phase. Harvest phase is determined, as we mentioned earlier, by whether or not the, all three harvest dice are showing their harvest face. Mm-hmm. If a harvest phase is triggered, then each plant tile is checked to see whether it's sprouting or developed. If it is, then it's scored according to the number of droplets that each character has on the tile. In the simplest case, something like grass, which we mentioned earlier, whoever has the most droplets gets four points, whoever has the second most gets three, and so on, down to one point. However, there are lots of other slightly more complicated plants as well. Wheat, for example. Mm -hmm. The second, third, and fourth players each score three points, while the first player only scores two points. But the thing with wheat is that if your first player you also get a wheat token, mm-hmm. and if you have the most tokens at the end of the game, you score 12 bonus points. So so each of these different scoring mechanics definitely requires a little bit of a different consideration in how you move your droplets around the board and what you plan for. Finally, after the harvest phase comes the cleanup phase, when players draw cards, reset their hands, and prepare for the next phase. Exactly. So the game is interesting. I mean, I I really like the theme itself. It's cool that they have a game about literally everything. You have a game about growing trees and photosynthesis. You have a game about spirits destroying colonists in Spirit Island. Yeah, you do. Uh, You have a game about growing peppers in Scoville. And now you have a game about being a cloud and strategically raining down on different plants. Yeah, thematically, very unique. Gameplay-wise, I think also very unique. There's definitely a spatial element mm-hmm. involved in just sort of recognizing, okay, how many droplets are in this one cloud? Where is this cloud relative to the different types of tiles and where I want to push them? So it's sort of a combination of the mathematical strategy that goes into a lot of positioning games, along with actual more you know physical spatial extrapolations that you have to do, which is something personally that I see a lot. It could just be yeah. the, the types of games that I'm looking at. Yeah, no, it's it, it's really interesting in that, first of all, the, the board is not set up in like a square or anything like that. It's like when you're playing two players anyway, you have seven tiles that you place and they're like in this almost like two overlapping squares kind of configuration. And so the movement can be really interesting because you're like trying to move through like this one middle tile where like everyone might like combine that kind of stuff and the clouds themselves like when they hit another cloud they just combine Mm -hmm. and it's just like boom all right uh now we're we're all in one cloud and now we're all trying to drive this thing because (laughs) like we're all trying to like use the wind as like no i want to go this way no i want to go this way no i want you to go that way so i'm gonna move this that way yeah pretty much (laughs) it's like whatever card you're using you have very interesting implications on what the other players can do Right. And I think that's one of the big elements of it. It's not, you know, I'm not going to call it social deduction, but there's definitely a psych out element. Um, You're trying to think more steps ahead than your opponent is. You're trying to get ahead of them, not just score wise, but actually planning wise and make sure, okay, I'm expecting them to go for this wheat, given where they've placed their clouds. How can I A, preempt that strategy and B, 
you know, look to capitalize on it by focusing on something that they're not, whether that's coffee or cotton, whether it's next to that and try to look to steal some of their clouds with wind, or whether it's completely across the board and just stay out of their sandbox. There's a lot of head games, oh, for sure. I think, yeah, that yeah. goes into this. One of the other things that I think is is particularly interesting about the strategy is that it's very hard to go into it with a definitive strategy. You know, you can say to yourself, okay, coffee's really valuable. At the most, if I, you know, if I have the most droplets there, it's worth 10 points. But then that starts to break down as soon as gameplay starts. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is very much a game of opportunity. Mm-hmm. You're constantly looking for ways to pick up small amounts of points, whether that's, okay, I'm going to put a single droplet here in order to secure second, or whether that's, okay, Maybe at this point, I'm deciding to bail out of a particular vote in order to invest in next turn so that I can set myself up. You know, we, we've we played exclusively two-player, yeah. actually. So, you know, I'm going to set myself up to take the first player token. Uh, all of these are considerations and value judgments that go into not just this is how many points I can score, but this is what will set me up for a better opportunity down the line. Yeah, exactly. And the game itself actually also has a lot of replayability because you're almost never going to have the same tiles in the same orientation. Yeah, pretty much never. There are enough different tiles around that when you place them, the placement has such an effect on it that even if one tile got switched with something else, that's already a different game. Yeah. Like, it's just going to change. And then you also have, like, just what actions you can do based on the cards that you draw you could draw an entire hand that has not a single frost in it and like you know you have to worry about like okay i'm going to use two cards in order to do a frost here or do i want to do a frost here because sometimes you might already have clouds out and that you might not need to and might be perfect not to have any of these and there's a lot of adapting from what everyone else is doing mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out like what they want to do what you want to do how can they screw you when you when you want to do something and how to prevent that from happening and how you can screw them so that they can't do what they want to do yeah very much so and another thing is just really interesting that first player is extremely powerful oh yeah i would say even more so than in a lot of other games that have a a first player mechanic oh yeah for sure uh and we mentioned that there are different ways of getting the first player token whether you're playing uh, a two-player game or a three or four player game uh in a two-player game it's whoever has the most votes left on the weather board after the weather phase in a three to four player game it's whoever passes first and this is really interesting because first of all the first player token changes hands at different points in the round Mm -hmm. if it changes hands before the weather phase the first player there gets to actually decide the ties between the different weather effects right so that is a completely different consideration in a three to four player game right and deciding those ties can be really really powerful because for example if you had rice out on the field and you know that a harvest is happening this round but it's not yet developed and you need a rain in order for it to develop that person could be just like oh rain is tied with sun i'm not going to choose rain i'm going to choose sun right and then you get to you know get no points for your rice and other things like that so there's just a lot of power in that first player token you can get like more actions usually because of that because when someone passes everyone gets another action rather than just to the first player so 
it is, I think, one of the games where first player matters the most. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. So as we're fond of saying here at Dragon's Demise, no game is perfect. And I think this game has a couple sort of glaring aspects of it that we would say fall into that category. The first among them, and I don't know if this has come through given the way we've described it, this game is really hard to grasp. And not just from the perspective of, you know, it's, it's a hard game to learn or, you know, there's a lot going on. We've both played games where there's a lot mm-hmm. going on and we like to think of ourselves as fairly savvy game players, but there's just something about Petricor that is really hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, it's, it's almost intangible. It's not like a complicated game because the rules are de- decently simple. Like the actions that you can do are simple, but it's almost like the implications of what you do and when you do it that are really just hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Uh, It's like, if I do this, I think this is what's going to happen. And like mechanically that might happen, but then you don't really get the implication of what that means in the game. Yeah. And especially when you've got, you know, a game that is so focused on long-term vision and thinking about what's going to come next, what's going to be coming down the pike. Those two things can really be in tension with one another. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think kind of take away from the game a little bit, which is a shame. Yeah. One of the other aspects that is definitely a drawback in our minds is the sort of precariousness Mm -hmm. that you find yourself in constantly, whether it's because someone else is looking to upset you or whether it's simply because that's the, the fickle nature of the cards. It's very hard to feel confident in any kind of strategy. And there's certainly an argument that could be made that that's by design. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's, that's, probably more of a feature than a bug but i do you know think certainly from my perspective as someone who prefers minimal player interaction but also from a simple anxiety perspective as someone who doesn't like to feel out of control Mm -hmm. i think that's that's definitely worth mentioning yeah no i think especially this is precipitated by the fact that if even if you are the first one to pass the other players all get another action so if you're not first player, you're even giving like the, the first player another action, that kind of stuff. And it's just like you can't almost like end anything on your terms. And it's always just like one of those like, yeah, now now they're going to like react to this. And and like it's so easy to mess up someone else's plans in the game that it, it's difficult to ever feel in control. Mm-hmm. The last thing that I wanted to mention is that. I am not a fan of how points for the voting and for the harvest dice work. So currently there's a score track, which for a four turn game goes zero, two, five, nine, and so on. That gives you a lot of points if you are the winner of more of the weather actions. Yeah. And this is really frustrating to me because they're getting almost a double benefit. Yeah. They win the weather action that they want to do. They get to do that weather action and they get points for it. And they get points from pretty much what the weather action does because it's setting them up. If they want to do that one, it's setting them up for something good. Mm -hmm. So they're getting so many of these benefits. And it's just, it's, it's something that really is frustrating because like, oh, you're not only getting rewarded by the weather action that you want, you're also getting rewarded by getting all these extra points. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of uh, maybe a balance issue mm-hmm. there simply with the fact, that, as you mentioned, almost the, the double victory, the double reward for investing in a particular weather effect. 
And I think that actually goes just as well for the other source of additional points, which is the mm-hmm. harvest dice. Yeah. Um, so normally, if instead of voting for a weather effect, you use your vote to tick down one of the harvest die, you get a point for that. And if you're the person who takes it to the harvest face, you get an extra point. So you get two total points if you're the person who takes it down to the harvest face. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but I mean, certainly in a two-player game, that's a four-point spread. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think, especially if you look at Harvest as basically just another form of weather, it is a thing that you want in order to maximize your points at that particular moment. You're yep. happy with the game state. That's what you want to move it towards. Mm-hmm. It's, again, another one of those double reward situations. And the, the, I think the thing that gets me the most about it is that it adds nothing to the game. People are still going to vote for what weather they want. People are still going to take down the harvest if they want the harvest. Even if you didn't have these point incentives, it's going to happen. Like, that's part of the game. Without that, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're almost incentivizing something that is already an incentive in itself. And it doesn't add anything, and it just adds these swings of points. Yeah. Rather than concentrating on the core, which is figuring out how to get your droplets to the right place and at the right time. And I think that that in itself, like, if, it were, if the game were just that... I think it would be a lot better. Like if you played without any of these other points, like just boom, let's just focus on getting the droplets where you want them, getting the plants grown and that kind of stuff. That's, I mean, that's my opinion. Uh, feel free to disagree in the comments, but I think that the game could have been better without that. All right. Strong words about some of the game design from each of us. Overall though, I think I'm actually still going to give this a play it. I think the theme super unique the mechanics and really the game feel super unique. Um, and I think it's got a lot going for it. I don't think it's ever going to be my favorite game, mm-hmm. but it is a fun game. Uh, and I think it's one that causes me to think in ways that are outside of my normal comfort zone, certainly outside the box. Yeah. And I really appreciate it for that, even if the structure of those mechanics does inherently lead to some uh, some tension and some discomfort. So overall, I think Petrichor is a solid play it. Uh, There's lots of replayability, as Jacob mentioned. There's lots of expansions. Uh, We didn't touch on it, but there's, you know, additional plant tiles. There's a solo mode, which is always a a fast way to my heart. But overall, I think Petricor is a a very solid play it. I'll also give it a play it. I think that it's an interesting game. I think it's a game that has really nice components. It's worth visually at least looking at, playing with. The idea of it is great. I like the theming behind it. I like the way that they almost represent like the clouds and that kind of stuff, uh, the overflow mechanics, the way all that works together. So I think that it's, it's definitely worth the play. Now, before we go, let's talk about some games that are similar. First on the list, Five Tribes, another game very similar in terms of moving groups of, of things around a board in an effort to exert sort of your vision over that board. You know, obviously in Five Tribes, that's, meeples and you're taking the meeples to perform a unique action as opposed to you know in petrichor all of the droplets are are otherwise equal to one another but a lot of the core strategies that go into it in terms of thinking about okay if this person wants to activate this effect then that's what the board's going to look like once it comes back around to my turn what am i going to want to do where am i going to want to go thinking several turns down the line in order to set up an opportunity for yourself very much Petricor and Five Tribes are mirrors of one another. So I think if you like uh, Five Tribes, I would say Petricor is worth checking out. Yep. Another game that 
has a lot of similarities to Petrichor is Vi. So Vi also has a lot of similarities, especially with the placement aspect and like the very strategic, like territory control almost that you, that you have in Vi. Because in placing down different cars, you have to really be careful about how and when you place them and where you place them because people can take them over. There can be very big swings and that kind of stuff. You really have to be wary of what other people might be holding in their hands. I think it's a very similar feel for the game. There's, I think, a little bit less going on with Vi, unless you add a lot of the additional cards and that kind of stuff. But both games have that similar kind of controlling, very fluctuating kind of game mechanic. And there you go. That's our review of Petricor. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to tune in this week for our live streams. We will be playing Pandemic Legacy on Friday and Robinson Crusoe on Wednesday. So be sure to join in on Twitch or YouTube for that. Also, Washington tickets are on sale now. We're really excited. There's a lot of fun stuff that's going to be happening. We have so many fun plans that we can't wait to tell you about. Be sure to tune in to the Twitter as well as the Instagram and Facebook of Washington for more information coming up soon. Also, Ticket prices go up at the end of May, so if you haven't bought your tickets yet, be sure to buy them. They will be going up soon. Also, in case you haven't heard, we are having a contest and we are giving away a copy of Dragon Brew. It's a game that we recently reviewed, we talked to the creator of, and we created a how-to-play video. So check out all three of those and the description of this podcast for more information about how to enter our giveaway. Finally. Be sure to tune in next week when we talk about RPG editions and how they change the game.